another edition of Who Says No, the NBA podcast where we only talk about trades because that's all you guys want to talk about. We have a very special guest today. He is the first non-CBS affiliated guest we've had on the show. And frankly, I think that means he's the best. Ryan Blackburn from Denver Stiffs. Ryan, how does it feel to be the best NBA writer on earth that is not affiliated with CBS? Oh, Sam, it's great. I, I knew I had earned that title as soon as I asked and, and answered yes for this podcast. So I, I genuinely appreciate the compliments. Uh, Denver's been off to a really interesting start. So it's it's uh, I'm not surprised that you started with me. Yeah. So the basic premise here that we're going to get into is something that Colin and I have talked a lot about with in regards to James Harden is that there isn't a good offer on the table at the moment, but somebody was going to always get desperate. And maybe five, four or five days ago, it looked like Denver might be that team, you know, starting one and four coming off of a Western Conference Finals berth. That is typically a recipe for panic. Things have gotten better since, and we'll get into the why of it all. But you're right. It's been a weird start. I, I think that's the right way to put it. It's not the start that they expected. So before we get into specifics, just seven games into the season now, how do you feel? Uh, coming back to normal a little bit, it was, it was a little bit jarring to see Denver struggle in, in crunch time a couple times. Uh, they've had some bad luck going into a lot of these games where teams are just shooting the lights out from three against them. They're, they're allowing good shots, uh, or not, no, they're, they're allowing the shots that you want them to allow. It's just the teams are shooting an absurd percentage against them on defense, but the offense is where I expected it to be. Nikola Jokic is unbelievable. Jamal Murray is unbelievable. Those guys continue to impress. We'll see what happens with Michael Porter Jr. When he comes back, he should be back on Thursday night. Yeah, I would go so far as to say that if Denver was 5-2 and two instead of 3-4, and four, which is very, very attainable, Jokic would be the MVP favorite right now. Like Statistically speaking, what he's done is absolutely incredible. But you're right, the defense is the issue, which is kind of what I want to get into. The big elephant in the room here is that the defense is... Generally fine with Porter off of the floor. They're giving up 109.9 points per 100. And then with Porter on the floor, it's 122.8. So that's a pretty big gap. Clearly, there's a defensive issue here when you have Jokic, Murray, and Porter on the floor. That's three, at the very least, let's say, below average defenders. So what are you seeing defensively with Porter right now? Because of the three, he's the least important at this moment. Yeah, I, I think I think it might be a little bit of an overreaction to point the the defensive issues to him. I think the Nuggets over the course of these past few games, they've played without Porter uh, for the last three, and, and we've seen their their defense go into shambles on several occasions. There, it's it's not just a Porter issue per se. Like all of their personnel has certain uh, questions about them. They they you definitely think about Paul Millsap is not the the mobile do it all defensive power forward that he once was. Gary Harris has been a little bit lackadaisical on a lot of these plays. And Will Barton has also had had his moments and issues. I think the best two players on the defensive end so far this year have been Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic in the starting lineup. So that is something that I'm sure not a lot of people would expect to hear. Uh, I tend not to overreact to the defense over the course of the first seven games of the year. And I think that it's so early when you think about who Porter is with this team, what they expect him to be going forward next to Jamal Murray, next to Nikola Jokic. Uh, it's it's going to be a work in progress, and it was always going to be a work in progress throughout the year. The defense will always be a concern, but I don't think it's necessarily because of Porter, because of anything. These guys are all new. It's a new team. They're trying to figure stuff out. So 
the big point in Porter's favor defensively is that they've just been really, really unlucky with him on the floor. With Porter in the game, opponents are shooting 47% on threes. That's not remotely sustainable. That's not something that he is responsible for. That's just random shooting luck. And when right. he's off, it's 36.3, which is roughly league average. Now, you could talk me into Denver maybe giving up a few more threes or a, few, a little bit of a higher percentage than normal teams, just given the way that their defense is built. But 47% is not sustainable. The question here is, I mean, just about the long term, is Porter an F on defense? I think the answer is no. Is he an A on defense? I think the answer is probably no. The range is probably somewhere from like a D to a B. And the question of where he lands on that spectrum, I think, is even more important than the offense. Because no matter what, we're seeing this right now, they're going to be fine on offense. They're, I believe they're fourth through seven games. If you have Jokic and Murray, that's not a great offensive supporting cast beyond them. I mean, Porter, you're right, has missed the past couple of games. They don't have too much shooting. There's Will Barton is not at 100% clearly. Gary Harris has not played offense in two years. But it doesn't matter because you have Jokic and Murray, and having Jokic and Murray means you're going to have a very good offense. So the question now is, over the long haul, if Porter is your third guy, you're probably not going to be a very good defensive team. So the question is, would you rather be the best offense in the NBA and maybe at best like the 15th best defense? Or would you rather trade Porter for some it's either depth or a high-end defensive player or something and maybe go for more balance where you're like fourth on offense and ninth in defense? So basically what I'm getting at right now is it's obviously too early to say anything definitive. What's the temperature in Denver right now? Is, is there confidence that Porter is the third guy? Is there really a, a strong desire to swap him in for somebody who plays defense? What's going through your mind right now? I would say that the temperature is pretty tepid. It, it's, it's definitely not hot in terms of trying to, to get a new solution in there. James Harden has come up obviously in trade rumors and, most Nuggets fans, I'd say probably 90% of Nuggets fans are vastly against that trade for a lot of different reasons, but we'll get to that. I know that. But uh, Porter is, he's hes probably the person that most fans will point to when they say, okay, hey, you can't, you can't necessarily have a great defense with this guy on the floor. Well, people said that with Jokic. People said that with Murray. People said that with all of these guys that, hey, at one point in their career, they didn't play defense, and then they did, and then they grew up. And Jokic has had a massive glow up in, in terms of his his effectiveness on that end, in terms of his impact, his knowledge, his ability to, to move his feet on the perimeter. He's done a really good job of improving. And, and there was a time where people were calling him the worst defensive center in the NBA, so I tend to think that Porter, as as he gets his head on straight, as he continues to learn the NBA game, as he continues to see things, he'll be able to improve on, from that perspective. And once, once you see somebody that you know that can improve, you start to look at the other end of the floor and you start to think, okay, how many teams in the NBA can guard a core that features Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, and Michael Porter Jr.? Three players, three vast, vastly different skill sets, vastly different sizes. Uh, Porter has the ability to shoot contested threes and hit them with ease. Uh, Jokic, obviously, he, he does everything that you need. Murray has shown that he could do everything that you need from a, a ball handling and creation perspective on the perimeter. So I tend to like that identity a lot more and surrounding those three with the necessary versatile defensive pieces to make it work. 
I would much rather be the top offense in the NBA and the 10th to 12th best defense, which I think they can get to, over the top five offense and a top 10 defense. Just because I I genuinely believe that offense is going to continue to win championships in the NBA and having offensive superstars is always going to drive that home. So you hit the nail on the head with Porter, and I think offensively, I mean, if he if he becomes Kevin Durant, that's it. It's over. Denver wins three, four championships, however long. Yeah, like, like, why are we even talking yeah. about it at that point? Like, like that, if you've got yeah. a guy like that, then, then there's no reason to really rush things. Like, like the Thunder traded James Harden. Like, exactly. if they did it, then we're, we're talking about a different NBA uh, past. There is a there is a point at which, and it's the last few years haven't been a great sample for this because Golden State existed, and not only did they have the most talent, but it was the perfect fit. But if you go back through NBA history, there is a point at which just having three top ten, top twelve guys, wherever you want to say Murray and Porter might land on that list, that's enough. And if you have the number one offense, especially if you have the number one offense with a pretty wide margin, like that team theoretically could have then you're given some allowances on defense. You can get away with stuff. But you mentioned James Harden, and that's a nice segue. If you have James Harden, Nicole Jokic, and Jamal Murray, we can get into the offensive fit. On paper, that's the most offensive talent any non-Warriors team has maybe ever had. So you seem like you're anti-Harden. I actually probably agree with that. I had our data scientist, Stephen O, run some numbers on this, and basically every projection of Denver trading for James Harden statistically speaking, has them getting slightly worse. So interesting. My, my question here, first and foremost, let's say hypothetically there was a Harden for Porter plus cap filler trade. Number one, how bad would the defense then be? Let's say the cap filler is Harrison Barton. And number two, how would that work on offense? Because it's a very weird fit. Yeah, so the Nuggets are already playing Jamal Murray at, at the three a lot of the times when when the bench is in because they are so small because when they don't have porter they don't necessarily have that perimeter size that can that can play the 3 that could play the 4 they've even played like will barton at power forward on on several occasions and and that's been a that's been a real issue but they've been able to make the defense work uh so when you when you talk about it through that scope when you talk about it through that lens i tend to think that they could make it work and it would be fine I just don't want to like there, there's a lot of identity that the Nuggets have built up with the Murray Okich pick and roll, the two man game. Those guys, homegrown talents, they've grown together. They've got a great relationship and, and they they pair well together. Now, imagine throwing James Harden, the most ball dominant uh, superstar that we've we've seen maybe ever like like there's there's a lot of argument for that in that he does play his own beautiful brand of basketball. But how often is he going to be? deferring to Murray how often is he going to be deferring to Jokic and and running the the baseline cuts and the vertical cuts that they need to run off ball movements doing the things that you need to do to have things run would the offense be fine yeah I'm not necessarily concerned about it because when like you said at at a certain point the talent threshold is just too high but every little bit matters every little margin matters when you're talking about surrounding a core that doesn't necessarily play elite defense uh, and then you wouldn't have the necessary defensive personnel to really back them up. So I would be like, and, and I count Porter in that as well, because he is one of the only guys with, with perimeter size that can really match up with some of these big wings. And he's had some good moments in the past. So I, 
I I just don't like it, man. It's 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 very it's very anti Nuggets, uh, and and a lot of people that want the Nuggets to do it are seeing this from the outside, and they they just don't see the culture and and the continuity that the Nuggets have built. That is their identity, and it sh- it shakes them to the core if they do it. I think it's one of those situations where you look at it on paper and say they have the most offensive talent in basketball. It's going to work in that it would be a top five offense. But I imagine you would look at it at the end of the season and say, wait, wait a second. Why are they ranked fourth? Why are they ranked fifth? Because it's a really weird fit. Look at the team that just posted the best offensive efficiency in NBA history. It was Dallas with Luka and a billion shooters. Sometimes it is that simple. Fit can really overcome a lot of the talent concerns that teams go through. And like that, that Dallas offense was better than any of the Golden State offenses. Clearly it wasn't as talented. I have always described the Denver offense as an eat what you kill offense, right? Like it's very egalitarian and it's very much a meritocracy where if you do the movement off of the ball that you need to do besides Porter, Porter is the only one that in his short stints has kind of been forced fed shots for the most part. Like that's an an offense that really rewards movement and playing within the structure. And James Harden has not really done that since he's been with the thunder and just from a pure math standpoint, only one player can have the ball at one time. Any offense with Nikola Jokic wants Nikola Jokic to have the ball. What does Jokic do when, when Harden has the ball, right? He's not a great spot-up shooter. You can run pick-and-roll with him and Harden, but that's a bit more complicated than the Murray-Jokic pick-and-roll. I mean, when Harden runs pick-and-roll, it's generally for a lob threat, which isn't really Jokic's game. I think it's kind of a weird fit. And if you take Harris and Barton off of that team... Are you looking at the 20th ranked defense, the 25th ranked defense? Like, certainly far below average. So I'm with you in that I wouldn't make that trade. But I do think there is a segment, I mean, you know Denver's fan base better than I do, that would just look at this and say two things. Number one, the talent is so overwhelming that maybe we consider this. And number two, just given Denver's history with Carmelo and just generally not having those A-list stars, it might matter to that city to get somebody like Harden in the door. Is that a consideration at all? Or are you purely thinking about the Jokic Murray Porter timeline? We have a chance to contend for 10 years. Let's not mess with that. Yeah. It's not even necessarily Porter. Like I, I, I think that the best thing that the nuggets can do for their championship equity is to maximize the fit and talent level around Murray and Jokic. And I would say that you're you're definitely maximizing talent level when you go with James Harden. Like that's that's definitely an argument. And when you when you talk about trading Porter and and in in that case because he he maximizes a lot of that talent and fit as well. Uh when you talk about trading Porter, there are only a very select few amounts of players that I would trade for him in the NBA. And James Harden's like right on that borderline because it, in a vacuum, yeah, you're, you're dumb not to trade Porter for Harden because Harden has been a top three MVP finisher for many years. He's excellent and consistently excellent, but he's excellent at what he does. And what he does is just not what the Nuggets do. And it, it would be, I think it would be more palatable from a fit perspective if you're trading Murray for Harden. But I just don't think so that the, the Nuggets the really care to that do we that either. Ran, the numbers that we ran actually had the Nuggets better with Porter and Harden than with Murray and Harden because those two would be so redundant. Right. 
And it, it makes sense because they fill a very similar role. Murray isn't as ball dominant as, as Harden is, but you see the way that Jokic has really racked up the assists at the beginning of this year. A lot of those assists to Murray have been with Murray working in the DHO and also working cuts off ball. He's he's working that dance with, with uh, Nikola Jokic. And I just don't see... James Harden is being willing or able to do that at this stage in his career. Murray's 20, uh, he's 23. He's going to turn 24 in February. Like he has just a different set of legs than, than what James Harden does. And he carries the offense in very different ways, but it's, it's with the ball in his hands. And I just think it, it it's, it takes a different set of skills. And, and I, I could see it working with, with him as like the, the main initiator in the pick and roll. But like you said, what does, what does Jokic do? What does Porter do in those situations? Like I don't want Porter to be relegated to a spot up shooter. That doesn't seem like a great fit at all. Well, it's a waste. I mean, he's a very good shooter for somebody that does all of the other stuff that he can do, but he's not a very good shooter. If you're asking him to be Kyle Korver or you're asking him to be JJ Redick, like he's not a 45% three point shooter. He's not Kevin Durant, at least not yet. Well, but, he might be. Like, we'll see. Well, we'll see. <laughs> the upside of it, look, you can talk me into almost anything with him offensively, just given the skill set. If you told me he was the MVP in three years, I wouldn't dismiss that out of hand. I wouldn't call it likely. But I think there's also quite a bit of downside risk, right? Because right now, his trade value is so high based on the scoring early in the season and in the bubble. He clearly has a very troubling medical history. His personality is, let's just say, a little controversial. We don't know what he's going to be on defense. Is there any part of you that's worried about holding on to Porter too long and having his value disappear? Like, clearly Denver has two foundational superstars right now in Jokic and Murray. Is there any part of you that's thinking, like, I want to go the safest route possible, move Porter right now while his value is high for something that's a bit safer? Or are you just thinking the upside with Porter is so high we keep it? It, it seems like that's a conversation to have at a different time. I, I I still want to see what this team looks like after a year of this experiment. Uh, I think that Porter's going to come back into the starting lineup and they're going to shred offensively and they're probably going to improve incrementally on defense. And we're going to see that over the course of the year. And as, as Porter becomes more consistent within his role, I think we're going to find out whether he's more comfortable if, he, if he's okay with being the third option when those two are out there, or if he's not comfortable with that and he wants to be a first option or second option or, well, definitely first option. He has the talent to do that. Uh, I keep bringing up the the comparison to the OKC Big Three because I think it really is the most apt. You had Westbrook and Durant who really established themselves early as, as uh, incredible, important pieces for... OKC in their starting lineup. And then you had Harden, who probably should have been starting that entire time, let's be honest, but Scott Brooks never did. And and he came off the bench. He won sixth man of the year. He was clearly very talented. He deserved to play a lot more than he did. And it just never really manifested. And he got blamed for a lot of things. And then he wanted out. So I think the Nuggets are doing you the right thing by trying to figure this thing out with Porter in the lineup, with Jokic and Murray trying to figure it out with them. They all want to figure this thing out. Like like talking to them over the course of these Zoom calls and over the course of everything, you could see like Jokic actually he he said we have to figure out how to use him with regard to Michael Porter Jr. because he is so talented. He he plays the game a different way than Jokic really wants, than Murray really wants, but they're all going to try to meet in the middle 
And I think that they have the talent to be able to do it. Uh, with the OKC big three, you're talking about a whole bunch of ball handlers. This time, these guys are slightly different positions. They're slightly varied. So I tend to think that they can make it work. You just have to have the right personnel around them to do it. So I wonder if what happened with Jeremy Grant is it all playing into their minds thinking clearly this was somebody who, A, was probably a bit more talented than we, than we thought, and B, left because we didn't do everything in our power to nurture that talent, at least by his standards. You know, I think, frankly, from a basketball perspective, they used Jeremy Grant about as well as they could have, but he clearly disagreed. I wonder if there's any part of them that's now thinking, we don't want to go down this same, ro- this same road with Porter. We have to do everything in our power to empower him. And having Jokic makes that a lot easier, right? Like, playing with Russell Westbrook is hard. James Harden has now seen that twice. Playing with Jokic is pretty easy, you know? Like, he can get Porter good shots and, you know, put Porter in a position that no other team can. But you're right. There is always the chance that he's thinking, I want to be the man. I want to be the franchise player. So I have a couple of trade situations that might at least get him closer to that scenario. The first is the team that is at the top of the panic power rankings right now, Toronto Raptors. There is not a cleaner trade fit in all of basketball than Michael Porter for one of those forwards, because the thing Toronto needs right now, more than anything is a superstar is somebody who can carry an offense late in playoff games. And frankly, a young foundational piece because you know, quietly, Kyle Lowry is pretty old. They have three very good young players locked up in OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, and Fred Van Vliet. But beyond those guys, like, what are they? They have a great coach, but they don't really have much depth. I would say either of those forwards would be a credible return for Porter. Obviously, I think Siakam would probably be the, the player that Denver would prefer. But how would you feel about either of those two? Uh, well, on paper, they're great fits. I, I tend to think that if, if you're looking to build around Murray and Jokic, then having long athletic perimeter stoppers who can create by themselves, but also don't need the ball in their hands in order to be effective. That's the kind of, uh, that's the kind of thing that you're looking for. Uh, I, I totally agree that, that you, from a fit perspective, that really makes sense. Uh, from, from a logistical standpoint, OG Ananobi, he just signed that contract. Oh, yeah, excuse you'd, me. you'd have to wait for the poison pill to expire. Yeah, which I think it, it would be next off season. Uh, it's a, a full year, so like it, it, it really would border on uh, going into next season. Uh, Siakam could be traded right now, and I, it would be it would be really fascinating to see how Denver would approach that because they they've had Gary Harris and Will Barton. Uh, they would need to trade at least one of those guys in order to make that salary work. Um, does Denver get anything back in that deal? Is it just a is it just a Harrison so, Porter for Siakam swap? Is that what we're yeah, thinking? I would say something along the lines of um, Porter plus cap filler, and you know maybe there's a pick going. I think both teams would think we deserve to get the pick out of this. Like Toronto would be totally justified in saying we have a second team All NBA player here, and you're sending us a very much a question mark. We'd want a little more, and simultaneously Denver would say. Well, look at what Siakam's done in the playoffs and look at what he's doing right now. His value's not very high. So I honestly don't know where the extra pick would come in. And I think they might, if they really did go down this road, come at it and say, you know what? This is just a pretty fair swap. Let's do Porter plus Cat Filler for Siakam. Now, another question I have is, do you think this ownership group would ever pay the tax? And if so, would they be willing to pay it perpetually? Because a quiet consideration here is that Ochi Ananobi is on a very team-friendly deal. His extension, four years, $72 million. 
if Denver swap Porter for him and suddenly they don't have to worry about a Porter extension, maybe they could duck the tax while contending for titles over the next few years. Is that something that you think would matter? Or do you think they would just say, we're going fully for the best talent we can get? So the Cronkies uh, are notorious, I think, for ducking the tax over the last few years. And I don't think they went into this season with the intention of uh, not paying the tax. I really think that they, they were willing to match Jeremy Grant's money. They, they wanted yes. to, they wanted to pay him 20 million a year in order to stay. Uh, they were going to bring in Jamichael green regardless, I believe. Uh, when you, once you start adding up the salaries, once you start adding up the money, you start to realize, okay, they probably would have gone over the tax this year because Jamal Murray's extension had kicked in. So I think they were willing. I think they were able uh, I don't think the tax, while they're competing for championships, while they're trying to do all of this stuff, is going to be an issue. But I also need to see it before I believe it fully. Uh, there is the there is an inkling in the back of my head that if if they were to do something like this, then yeah, OG Ananobi would be the more desirable player because it gives them a lot more flexibility going forward. And not to mention Pascal, like we 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 he he could be great, he could be fine, but he's also twenty six and. And actually, actually, it's it's really not that bad. Like, like, I could really see Pascal flourishing next to Nikola Jokic and and being great, well, and next to Murray and being great. I think we're overblowing this just purely from a context standpoint, because right now Pascal Siakam is the number one option in Toronto, and he's clearly miscast in that role. If he's right. the number three in Denver, that's like he might be the most overqualified number three in the NBA. So that would probably look very different, and probably look something like it looked in 2019 when the Raptors were winning the championship and the Raptors had Kawhi Leonard and Kyle Lowry, like Jokic and Murray can approximate that production. So I think it would be easy to say, Oh, Siakam just goes back to where he was then, which was, you know, low level all-star, which great. Denver would love that out of that, that spot. But we do have to acknowledge the financial side of things because it's not just the luxury tax. Like Denver is cheap in a number of different ways. They don't have a practice facility. They don't have a G league team. Like, This is an organization that has tried to save money at every turn. So there's almost a part of me that wonders if, say, we get to the draft in June or July or August or whenever it's happening, and they say, like, "Hmm, I wonder, can we reset the rookie scale um, um, timeline a little bit and maybe swap Porter for, like, the third pick or something? Like, is that totally off the table? I think the answer is yes. Oh, yeah, that's off the table. There's... There's there's no way in hell, I think, because yeah. they, they just traded they traded into this past draft to select RJ Hampton. Sure. Uh they have Zeke Naji. Uh they they still have Bull Bull who's locked in. Uh they've they've got some other young guys as well. Like they've done a good job of keeping the pipeline young in general, and that's something that they're always going to continue to do. But they know that they're going to have to pay the piper at some point. Like Michael Porter Jr. is a player that they want. And and I was gonna say about the Cronkies. They wanted Michael Porter Jr. When the Nuggets came to them, when their front office came to them on on draft night in 2018 and said, hey, we think that this is a possibility that this might happen. Uh, The Cronkies were very on board. Josh Cronkey, University of Missouri guy. uh, Michael Porter obviously went to Missouri. Uh, there, There is some connection there. The ownership group loves him. They want him to succeed. They want to give him every opportunity and they they'll pay him handsomely in order to do it. If they feel like, especially if he can be Kevin Durant, they're not going to cheap out on him. Like this isn't this isn't the OKC Thunder. Uh, they 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 get it. They I think that the the cheapness factor is is they've always paid for players. They've always they've always made sure to pay for those guys when when necessary, and especially when they're in a championship window. 
uh, throughout the 2000s, they were in the tax or or close to it. They were capped out with Kenyon Martin's contract, J.R. Smith, Carmelo Anthony, Allen Iverson, guys like that, Marcus Camby. So like they, they've always paid for those types of guys. I don't think that they would have any concerns about paying for Michael Porter Jr. Yeah, I mean, what they've done really well over the last couple of years is really decide, okay, who are the core pieces? Who are the people that we absolutely need to keep? And who are the people that we're willing to jettison for the sake of maintaining some sense of long-term flexibility? Like, right. I disagreed with them trading Malik Beasley and Wancho Hernan Gomez, but I get it in the grand scheme of things because you're going to be paying the tax in the semi-near future, whether it's next year or the year after. And if you had kept Beasley and Hernan Gomez, you're probably paying it this year and the repeater clock starts early. So I understand it. I, I don't always agree with the specific moves and the specific players that they choose to keep. But I do get where they're coming from. And I do think when the time comes for this team to right now, I think we would have them as second or third tier contenders. There's going to be a moment, whether it's in one year or three years, where this is like a tier one genuine favorite sort of contender. And I think when that moment comes, they're going to be willing to pay. But I want to transition slightly to the player who had sort of been the apple of Denver's eye before all of this Harden stuff started, just Bradley Beal who I think would be a better offensive fit, but raises similar defensive concerns. You've probably been sitting on Beal for Porter in your mind for like a year by now. Is that a deal you'd consider? It's uh, that's definitely a tough one. (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, Because Porter is kind of like, or Beal is kind of on that threshold of an all NBA contributor that you think could be like that for a consistent amount of time and could be on the same timeline as a Murray and Jokic. Like, of course, he has many of those same traits as a James Harden. He's not quite James Harden. Very few people are. Uh, but he does He does make more sense from a positional fit, from a, a, a logic standpoint. Uh, the fact that Jamal Murray has been defending his position really well, bodes really well for a, a deal like that, where Murray would be asked to guard ones, Bradley Beal would be asked to guard twos. Maybe they could cross match on, on occasion, but those guys, I don't necessarily have the same defensive concerns there, but it really kind of all boils down to whether you think that this team could defend the types of teams like the Clippers and the Lakers. And I like the moment Jeremy Grant walked out the door that, that became a lot more difficult. I think Jermichael Green kind of offsets a little bit of it because he can he could switch a little bit. He has some good length and athleticism. Could I think he's actually a sneaky good matchup for Anthony Davis, uh, but it's sneaky, and there's a reason why it's sneaky. It's because you, you can't deploy him for 48 minutes, and I think that that's really where all of these trades come down to is I think you're trying to figure out, okay, who are the best players that Denver could acquire that would match up to help beat the Clippers or the Lakers? Because... Those are the teams that Denver is really gearing towards. It's it's not the it's not the Trailblazers. It's not the the Mavericks. Even even though the Mavericks are progressing, it is the Lakers and it is the Clippers. And they have big wings. And Gary Harris and Will Barton are not big, but they've done a decent job on Paul George among others in in previous years. Uh, but they need that Kawhi guy. So that's that's what I would be targeting. That guy doesn't exist right now on the on the trade market. It could be OG right and at one point. Right now is the operative word there. I'm going to get to the guy who I maybe could be available in a little while. Um, oh, no. I do. I, please don't. Please don't say the 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 S word. Uh, <laughs> we're going to say the S word. Um, I actually do sort of disagree with you in that I think Denver should be making moves not based on the Lakers and the Clippers. Don't get me wrong. 
I think they should think that they have a reasonable chance of competing with the Lakers and the Clippers. But I think their timeline suggests that the real opponents are going to be Dallas, New Orleans. I mean, I don't want to project Oklahoma City because that's a nightmare. But you would assume that Oklahoma City is going to get up there eventually. But really, I'm thinking, who is somebody that will, ideally, I don't know if this player exists, somebody who could defend both Luka and Zion. I don't know that that player exists right now. But we do have to say the S word. (laughs) Right now, things look pretty good in Philly. But Philly is notoriously volatile. Is there a point in the year where Philly says, you know what? We'd rather have the shot maker. Let's talk Porter for Simmons. It's funny because this, the, the, the Sixers and the Nuggets are ob- obviously tied for several reasons. They're tied together. Uh, Murray and Simmons were in the same draft class. I think Simmons is at at this point, like, honestly, I think you can make an argument that Murray is the better player and better for what the Nuggets need, better for what the NBA needs to win a title. But you could also make the argument that Simmons is the better player for what they need. But like, that's, that's been an argument in, in Nuggets circles more so than, than national NBA circles for obvious reasons. Uh, But then you have Jokic and Embiid. That's obviously a very interesting factor. Uh, if the if the Sixers were really interested in Porter for Simmons, it would mean that things have gone really wrong there. I can't. Well, but imagine it's Philadelphia, would... so things can go really wrong really quickly. Like I think what we're seeing right now is they're the number one seed in the East at present. If they're the number one seed and losing the second round, which seems like the likeliest outcome if they do keep up this regular season performance, right. I don't know. I, I'm just saying. I think it's like a non-zero possibility. Oh, I, I agree with you. Uh, I tend to think that Ben Simmons would have an even more difficult time in Denver as the third option than Porter would. And here's why I I tend to think that shooting is the most optimal thing you can do around Jokic and shooting and cutting is, is the the best combination. If you're not the primary ball handler, Uh, Simmons can obviously make it work next to Jokic without a jump shot, but I tend to like, I I get very concerned about what Denver does with Simmons. If he's playing the short corner while Murray and Jokic are playing the two man game to close a game. Like you don't want to see Ben Simmons in the short corner going forward as, as a superstar, as a guy that you traded your, like your star, uh, small forward prospect for. And, and I have concerns about, whether he can actually make that work and whether when, whether Denver can make that work. I think that they would, but it goes to your point that I prefer them to go for the best offense and like the 10th to 12th best defense. Simmons would help make them a top 10 defense for sure, but he takes them out of the top out of the top three for sure on offense. Like I, they don't have that marginal advantage anymore because they are going to struggle with spacing. They are going to struggle with shooting and, having all of those questions, I think it it raises some concerns in the playoffs that weren't previously there. Well, you're right. It would be a very serious playoff issue because they'd be the best transition offense in the NBA by a mile. And then when you get to the half court, you're right. I don't know what you would do with Simmons. Are you sticking him in the corner? Is he going to be in the dunker spot? I don't know that that really works with the Jokic Murray pick and roll. Like there isn't an obvious answer to that. So it seems like the move that would make them the number one seed every year, but would probably raise some problems in the playoffs. Not, not to mention, it's it's more of a it's more of an issue that I think the players would have because it's it's not like they can always make it work. These these basketball players, especially the most talented ones, can make it work. Ben Simmons, if if he was asked to play the short corner and wanted to play the short corner, he would be the best short corner player in the NBA. 
because he has that that basketball IQ and that timing and would be able to do a lot of incredible things with his athleticism, I just don't think he's going to want to do that. I don't think there's any any desire at all. He wants to be a point guard. There, there's a reason why they they left let go of Jimmy Butler and why why they've really surrounded Ben Simmons with shooting as opposed to making him move. That's that's been uh, just my two cents. No, I I agree with that, and I mean I hate to bring this up but there is always the concern when you trade for any superstar regardless of age like if they're not happy they're just gonna leave and i know that simmons just signed the long-term extension if he didn't like it in denver he strikes me as somebody who would very quickly get angsty and maybe say some things to his agent so like i i don't think that's something that denver really wants to deal with i think it's something they would consider if it was genuinely on the table because the transition and the defensive upside would be utterly enormous if they did that but i don't think it would be their first choice i think their first choice personally would be let's just go get somebody who's not a star and keep porter we should fill the grant spot not be looking to upgrade on the porter spot james herbert and i just did an entire podcast on aaron gordon and james spent i i don't know how to time this properly because he's been doing this in my text for the last year but he spent (laughs) a solid 10 minutes pitching aaron gordon to denver that's the easiest fit on the board for so many reasons, right? I mean, huge defensive upgrade over what they have. And I think he's a better defender than Grant as well. He's a little bit of a ball handler, like enough that you could really take advantage of, say, you could run inverted pick and rolls with him and, and Jokic, and either of them could screen and either of them could handle. He could be a lob threat for Jokic. Like, there's a lot to like there. If you could just say, you know what, let's YOLO this thing. Let's give up two first-round picks and cat filler for Aaron Gordon. That's the move I would make if that's at all on the table. I agree with you. That's that's a that's a guy who strikes me in Orlando as somebody who needs a change of scenery. Uh, every just because team thinks they can fix Aaron Gordon. Every yeah. single team. Well, but not every team has Nikola Jokic, and and True. that's probably the the main factor that I think Nuggets fans could really sell themselves on with something like this. It's because if if the deal was let's say it's let's say it's Gary Harris, let's say it's a young prospect that they have like a a Zeke Naji or an RJ Hampton or a Bull Bull, and then one first round pick. And then you trade that for Aaron Gordon and his two years. He's got one year left after this one. I think it makes a lot of logistical sense. And the primary reason being he can fill a lot of different hats for what Denver needs. You need him to guard the opposing team's best player. He can do that. He's athletic enough to do that. He's long enough to do that. He has a good mentality. He did a good job against Kawhi Leonard at various points in that playoff series when, when Orlando faced off against them. He's had moments throughout the regular seasons, of course. Uh, he's he's a guy who, if he were shooting 35%, as opposed to whatever he's shooting right now, I would be a lot more confident in. Uh, and I think the rest of the world would be a lot more confident in because he's, he's definitely fallen off from that regard. He's at 31% now, but he's really been trending down the last two years. Uh, he's maxed out at 34.9% in, in 18 He's never months. been league so, average. Yeah, so that's that's a question mark that I would have. But when you talk about late game offense, maybe just stick him in the short corner. Maybe just stick him in the actual corner and then just say, okay, hey, you are going to be the fourth option behind Murray Porter and Jokic, and you're going to defend the opposing team's best player. And that could be the best way for Denver to win a championship. Honestly, like I, I think you could you could definitely sell yourself on him being the guy to guard LeBron James or Kawhi Leonard in a playoff series against the Clippers and the Lakers that helps Denver elevate because they've, they've had a lot of problems with that. And, and if they could get Porter on the floor in those situations and not have to have him guard LeBron, 
on on every single possession. I think they could they could really make some noise. And Gordon's still like this is his age twenty five season. Like he's he's still very young. It's it's his seventh year, but like he's he's a vet who knows how to play. I like that fit, and I've liked that fit for a long time. My stiffs writer, my stiffs readers, when they when they listen to this, they'll be uh, they'll be unsurprised that you brought up Aaron Gordon, and I was very very here for it. It is the absolute perfect basketball fit. I think quietly there might be some personality fits. I mean, if we're being honest, if Aaron Gordon was in a place where he was willing to totally buy in and be the role player that I think we all want him to be, he might have been traded by now. Like. I think this is something that, say, basketball fans and even us as media can kind of overlook where we say, oh, somebody is a perfect fit like Jeremy Grant was in Denver. But Jeremy Grant wanted something different out of his own career than what we wanted for him. And I think Aaron Gordon is kind of intimated that he wants to be LeBron. He wants to handle the ball a lot. He wants to score a lot. There is nothing that he has done has indicated that he is ready to be the player that we probably think he should be and would be optimal for him winning games. That's the only concern that I have. If he would come in and say, I'm going to sign an extension in Denver. This is where I want to be. This is where I can win championships. It is the absolute perfect fit. And honestly, it's the perfect fit at a reasonable price. I don't know that Aaron Gordon is available, but when he is, I don't think he's a player that's off the table for anybody, right? It's not like you're trying to trade for Stephen Curry and there are only so many teams in the league that have the assets to do that. If Denver just put all of its draft capital on the table, yeah, they'd probably get something done. That's purely going to be a matter of will Orlando ever finally say, you know what, enough is enough. They've started. I hate to say that they've had a hot start. They've had a lucky start. Let's be honest. But if they're in the playoff race, they're they're probably not going to do it because that ownership group has always just been about we want the eight seed. So my concerns are personality based. And I guess we'll see over the next year or so if there's ever any sort of reckoning on that. But the basketball fit is perfect, and the upside of getting him out of Orlando is so high. I don't know where they stand right now, but through five games, their shot selection was historically bad. They were 30th in restricted area shots, 30th in threes, first in mid-range shots. Like, of course Aaron Gordon doesn't look good on (laughs) offense. Nobody would look good on offense. He's never had a functional NBA point guard, and he'd be going to Jokic. Uh, it would it would drastically change things, and Murray has done a better job of becoming more of a facilitator at this stage of his career. The assists don't show it to start the year, but he is a better passer, a much better passer than he was. Uh, Porter isn't always going to be on the floor at the same time as Gordon. Neither is Murray. Neither is Jokic. So there will be opportunities for there would be opportunities for him to to show off his offensive game. To be clear, uh, I love the fit. I, I've like when when you when you start to look around the league at the the amount of six eight players that there are. And and how good all of them actually are. There's it's a pretty a short threshold. list, right? It's it's a short list. There's a certain threshold that you have to reach from a skill level and and, and efficiency standpoint to be impactful. And and Aaron Gordon meets that criteria. He definitely does. There's a reason why the Magic have been as good as they are. Uh, obviously, it's been it's been Vucevic at the start. It's been Fultz at the start but they've also had really good defense and Aaron Gordon is a major contributor to that. It's not just Nikola Vucevic, like, and it's not just Terrence Ross. Let's be honest. I mean, the best version of him, we haven't seen it yet, but like he is one of those Steve Clifford guys that plays super hard on defense, always knows what to do defensively. The best version of him is on a contender. We just haven't seen that yet. Before we go, I just, how old are you willing to go with this, with the power forward upgrade? Like, 
Would you give up anything real for PJ Tucker, for instance? Uh, what does PJ Tucker do that Jamichael Green doesn't do? Let's, let me let me just start. There, I think that's a pretty I, I ambitious know. read on Jamichael Green. Now you've watched this season closer than I have, but at the very least, I would call Tucker better at a lot of the things that Green does, like elite corner three point shooter, elite small ball five defensively. I think is probably a little better in man defense than Green is now. Like maybe you've you've watched Green more than I have. Maybe he's looked better so far this season than he has in the past. But I would at the very least call Tucker an upgrade. I don't know how serious of one. I, I would love to have Tucker on that team. He's he's not like he's definitely not like like Jamichael Green isn't perfect. Like, but he he is really impressed over the course of these last three games. He's been like very very good. Thirteen points, five rebounds. He shot sixty one percent from three. Obviously, that's not going to continue. But when you when you talk about just just the types of players that Denver needs and how much those players would ultimately play. Uh, I think that Denver has that spot filled reasonably well with green. Uh, there's a reason why Clippers fans were very upset when green departed because he fills that role to a T uh, as the, as either the traditional four that you need that can shoot, but also the, the stretch five who, who guards the opposing team's best player at, at, in the front court and just, does a really good job with it. Um, I've been really impressed with him, and I I don't think of PJ Tucker as the guy that Denver would need. Uh, but it's it's never a bad thing to have a bunch of those guys that you trust, like especially if Denver is going to go up against the Lakers or the Clippers, where and you've got a lot of big players and you've got a lot of physical guys that you could probably use some size for. So, I, my my issue with Tucker, aside from age, is. I mean, I haven't watched too much Houston so far this year, but I, I don't know. He's very used to playing in this Harden-centric universe where all you kind of have to do is stand in the corner. I, he Usually we look at players and say, oh, if you're going from a no-motion offense to an all-motion offense, like that'll benefit you. I don't know how much he's, movement B.J. Tucker wants to do at this stage of his career. Yeah, he's he's a smart guy. He's he's definitely a smart player, but he's not a cerebral offensive player. Yeah. He's not going to make the the advanced reads that even Paul Millsap still makes when when he's on the floor with the Nuggets. And I tend to think that the Nuggets are good in the front court at this point. Uh, that they, they'll they'll still try to figure out Isaiah Hartenstein and, and guys of that nature. Like there there are going to be problems. But if you're if you're if your solution is they hey you just have to play Nikola Jokic more, then I think they're okay with it especially in the playoffs. And I, I think this is a long-term issue more than it's a short-term issue. I don't think anybody in that Denver front office would weep if they got to the second round and lost to the Lakers again. Like, I don't think anybody is looking at this as a championship or bust season, which is why I don't think there was ever a point at which they would have become the desperate James Harden team in the way that say Toronto might, or even Miami might, right? Like Denver can look at this pretty comfortably and say, there are always ebbs and flows to contention you know, there were years where Dallas with Dirk was making the finals and there were years where they were out in the first round. It's about the long term. It's not about doing anything right now. So that ultimately is why Tucker's probably off the table. If you're going to fill that slot, I think it has to be with somebody you can reasonably expect to be around for the long haul. Gordon is the first choice, but there are guys around the league, depending on how much Denver is willing to put up. But Ryan, I've taken up enough of, enough of your time as it is. Hopefully we're doing this again at the trade deadline when Denver is traded for Aaron Gordon. But, you know, with, with Orlando's track record, I think more realistically, he's going to spend his entire career there and his children are going to play there. And so are his grandchildren. So sadly, I don't know how realistic <laughs> that is, but 
we can dream. Ryan, it was an absolute pleasure. Do you have anything you want to plug? Are you working on anything interesting? Uh, nothing, nothing too major. Uh, there, there's been a lot of stuff in the country that I think everybody should just take time to read, take time to really take in what's going on around around the United States right now. Uh, I'll have something up on Denver Stiffs about white privilege, though that's that's probably not necessarily the target audience for what everybody's going for now. But but it's all good. Everybody uh, should read that. Yeah, well, well, like I I certainly hope so. But uh, other than that, just follow my work at denverstiffs.com. I I we we release a podcast every day of the week, every day of the week of uh, uh, saying weekdays, uh, five days a week. That's what I mean. Uh, and and just. Go Nuggets and just trying to trying to figure that out. It's been great. And if if you are looking for basketball content, seriously, go read Denver Stiffs. There are like five SB Nation sites that I read way more often than I probably should, just because of how good the writing is. Like I don't need to know as much about the Nuggets as I probably do, but reading Denver Stiffs gets me there. Indie Cornrows is like that. There are a couple that are like that where I I spend too much time on certain small market teams just because I love the SB Nation sites. So Ryan, it was a pleasure. Go read Denver Stiffs. And we'll be back next week with Colin. Thanks, man.